This episode of Beer and Bullshit is brought to you by Woodhouse Brewing Company in Toronto. Woodhouse brews the refreshing beers using only choice ingredients and no preservatives. Check out their brew pub in Toronto today and enjoy their newly opened patio. Welcome to episode 20 of the Beer and Bullshit podcast. I'm your host, Ben Johnson. Thank you so much for tuning in to the 20th episode. As it is our 20th episode, I'm going to make this the season finale, arbitrarily. Seasons are going to be 20 episodes because I decided that today. So this is the season finale. Uh, there will be a very short break before season two. Literally, just going to take one Wednesday off next week. Come back with uh, some new intro music, record some new ads, uh, and just kind of clean things up a bit. Probably getting sick of hearing the same ads, and uh, I'm getting sick of hearing your complaints about the levels on my uh, intro music. So I'm going to fix it, okay? Also coming back for season two with some amazing guests uh, lined up and uh, a few surprises. So stay tuned for that. Uh, But first, the season one, season finale, which I didn't realize was going to be the season finale when we recorded it, but still, definitely finale-worthy guest in Kevin Freer, the head brewer at Block 3 Brewing in St. Jacobs, Ontario, and a guy who has been in and around the Ontario craft beer scene for a decade, and has got some interesting perspectives on uh, the scene. My occasional co-host, Chris Pellerin, joined me for this chat, and uh, I hope you enjoy it. If you are enjoying the show, as always, wherever you listen to the show, if you could take the time to give us a review, it really does help, and I really do appreciate it. Um, I will see you on November 25th for the premiere episode of Season 2 of the Beer and Bullshit Podcast. Thanks for listening. Here's our talk with Kevin. Good, good. And you've been around a while. Uh, you've been brewing beer commercially for s- about seven years, right? Ten years, actually. Ten the years. Past, uh, yeah, the beginning of November was ten years for me. Where did you, did you get started at Wellington? Uh, no. So I initially started, um, so I was, I was a musician. I was a jazz musician. That's what I studied in school. Um, and then I needed a job. <laughs> so I, uh, back in 2010, you could just like apply to a brewery and just get a job. So I started at, uh, Magnata, um, up in Vaughn and I worked there for a year and a half. And then I was at Wellington for a long time. And then, yeah, now at block three for almost five years. Cool. I didn't know you were, I knew you were a bassist. I didn't know you played jazz, jazz bass. Yeah. Something like that. I did the, the show band thing, the musicals, the, the cruise ship, all that, all that good stuff. You did cruise ship touring with jazz bands? Yeah, it was like they'd fly on a singer and you had to like learn their show that day and then perform it that night. That's so a amazing. lot of reading. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was good musically, but living on a boat sucks. Do you, do you still play, Kevin? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I mean, I still play. I've, I've been playing a lot of guitar because playing bass by yourself kind of sucks. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> Hang on. That is no uh, more true. Yeah, playing a lot of guitar, doing uh, doing a lot of like MIDI stuff, keyboard. I play piano too, so just making like little stupid hip hop beats in my room, and yeah, just making noise and being creative. You know, that's what you it's gotta about. do something, right? 
So Kevin, I feel like you and I have aligned a lot online because uh, you're pretty outspoken. Sure. Sure. You're gonna make me uh, really money. <laughs> I just said you're outspoken to give me one word answer. I love it. <laughs> no, but I feel well, like we've been on the same side of a lot of uh, the random stupidity that happens in Ontario craft beer. So I figured it was fortuitous for us to actually have a conversation at some point. Yeah, there, there's um, there's been a lot of people speculating uh, about things maybe without any sort of knowledge, um, and I I like to jump in and just be like, hey that's not exactly how things work. Like I've, I've been doing this a long time. I've been doing every job in the, in the beer industry, uh, except for sales. Sales sucks. Um, <laughs> sales people uh, would say that's the best gig, but. Oh my God, that kill me. Um, <laughs> but uh, like you, you just see people comment stuff and you're like, that's, well, that's not right. Like, don't say that. And just, whilst, and I just like to be like, look, man, this is how it is. You know, um, boy, not even a voice of reason. I'm just like, God, stop doing this. <laughs> you are the one I, every once in a while, I will like jump onto the craft beer Reddit circuit just cause for the pain. And you do seem to be like a frequent voice of like, actually, no, you're kind of like <laughs> regularly there to check in. Well, I mean, otherwise everyone would just jump on top of you and, uh, <laughs> I don't mind you the hell, man. <laughs> They're not my fans. I don't mind. It's okay. <laughs> So what kind of stuff are you correcting uh, the uninformed on, Kevin? Well, I'll, I'll just use a, a recent, I don't want to shit on Reddit and that community entirely, but I'll use um, a recent one. Like people were like, did left field change their pricing? And it's like, well, they didn't change their pricing. You just don't have to advertise certain taxes. So they just opted not to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so instead of saying, oh my God, they did this thing. And now it's, it's X amount of dollars more. It's like, no, no, no. They just, they just did tax in. Like it's, it's, it's the same thing. You just didn't click through and see, see how that breaks down for you. You know, it's like not reading the article. You just share it and comment <laughs> exactly. on the headline. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like one of my huge pet peeves is when people are like, oh, I bought this beer from the LCBO and it sucked. And it's like, well, they're going to suck, man. They've been sitting on a shelf warm for like three months. Like don't, don't shit on that brewery. Like, yeah. Yeah, I, I picked up, uh, this is topical, I picked up a Naughty Neighbor. I haven't had that beer in a long time. I was like, oh, it's time to revisit Naughty Neighbor. Got it home, turned it over. It's like a five-month-old shelf turd. So it's like, ah, probably not giving it its proper dues here. But I will say some breweries do tend to, uh, well, Great Lakes, they're obsessed with freshness. I've never, even at the LCBO, picked up an old date code Great Lakes beer. So I do think some brewers are better than others, regardless of the LCBO's terrible record for aging beer for you. Yeah, big big fan. Great Lakes is like my go-to. Um, Troy's gonna send me a free case of beer for saying this, but uh, like I <laughs> I there if I'm at an LCBO and I'm you know buying a, some wine or like some whiskey or whatever, I'm usually picking up a couple cans of Canuck or something because you know it's gonna be fresh. You know it's gonna be good. And it's two ninety. I mean, I feel like I'm like a dickhead for always bringing up pricing, but man, two ninety for a great American pale ale. Whereas, I can't even be that, and I own a brewery. Right, exactly. <laughs> Costs you more to drink one of your own beers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you also bring a unique perspective because you've been at a pretty large brewery and now a pretty small brewery. So you kind of, I've seen you sort of defend both, and uh, you understand the. Uh, 
idiosyncrasies of both of those. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so yeah, I worked at Wellington for a long time. Um, when I worked there, they were even smaller than they are now. Um, but they were cranking out beer. Um, and I will say cranking out good beer. Uh, mm-hmm. We did our job very like to the T we were very, very quality focused and, and did what we could with the tools we had at the time, but they were also rapidly expanding, um, which has its own level of complexities. Um, and maybe that was like part of why I left. I was just like, I need, you know, I need to, to run my own show at some point. And like, you know, my friends wanted me to come on and, and help them out. And, you know, I knew all the guys at block three and we're all friends and it, it seemed like a nice work environment. And, but, uh, I don't, I don't see a large, like Wellington's tiny in the giant world of macro beer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't see them as being, um, like a large brewery and like people kind of see steam whistle as being like a huge brewery and it's like yeah they're huge but they're not like macro huge like they're they're a blip in the radar too so i i don't think that the size of a brewery is necessarily the a the quality of their beer and b uh the quality of their people mm-hmm. i agree and we do have a skewed perspective of big like when you start people throw around oh muskoka is one of the big breweries or like the the scale is so different they, they don't even have the same they don't wake up with any of the same problems that labat has or molson has like it's not even the same ballpark but there still is definitely a dichotomy in terms of what is considered a big brewery and what's considered small and what's considered representation i think in the industry because and this seems to come up on every one of these podcasts now but the only trade association you guys have is the Ontario craft brewers. And it does seem to skew to the interests of big brewers, whether or not that's a fair perspective or not. I don't know, but every small brewer I've talked to said, we don't want to get in the OCB because they look out for the quote big guys. Yeah. So we are an OCB member. um, And we have been, I think since the beginning, I wasn't at the brewery at the beginning, but I think since the beginning, um, I, I had some issues with the OCB uh, a little while back and it was actually Mandy Murphy who uh, from left field, Mandy Murphy from left field, who said um, we did too. And that's why we went all in because we want to change it and we want to make it better. Um, and just in, in terms of scale, like we do about 2000 hex a year, not huge, but not small. Um, and I think that maybe we can push uh, an agenda forward if we, you know, if we all combine our forces there, because if they're not hearing from the small people, they're not going to do anything for the people. And I'm looking at your lineup that you have at block three now, which looks amazing. I, I haven't been yet, but I will definitely be going now. And do you find with a, with a smaller operation, there's maybe a little more room for experimentation? Oh yeah, definitely. Like we, we have um, the flexibility in that I only have to sell a thousand or 1200 liters of beer which again, scale, that sounds like a lot, but it's really not. Um, whereas at Wellington, the, the batch size, you know, their smallest tanks were 6,000 liters. Hmm. So wow. you, like, you kind of got to plan that out. Um, that's a bit of a commitment. Yeah, it better be good if you if you got to move a ton of it, right? Uh, do, you, do you enjoy experimenting and, and doing some kind of single batch stuff that... Uh, or, or I don't really know the operation of Block Three that well. Is most of your stuff mainstay, or or is it always changing? So we do have um, we do have a core lineup. Uh, we have a King Street saison. We've had the entire time. Uh, we've got a Hellas. 
Uh, we have a dry hop kettle sour called Fickle Mistress and a uh, Vienna lager called Village Lager. And we try to keep those on at all time. Um, and then everything else, you know, we got 12 taps or whatever. But the, I, I think the, the world of the larger brewery that's mostly distribution focused is, is over. Like there's not going to be these kind of breweries like your Muskoka's or like your Wellington's anymore. Um, you can maybe approach that, but especially now during COVID, like where are you selling that beer? And like, it's just, it's the beer store, it's the LCBO, which is low margin return and it's your tap room, but bars are not, bars are not doing great right now. So that's, that, that model is the people who have it, they'll be doing fine. And I don't think anyone else should try to approach it. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. I hadn't actually considered like, if you think about Amsterdam, people don't talk about the volume of beer that they push. And it's a lot of it is blonde. Like it's still, that's still, I, I would, Ian McCooster would hit me in the face for saying it's their flagship beer, but it, it is their flagship beer. They've been selling it forever and pushing tons of it. But I wonder if they're having any issues selling it right now because where the hell is it all going because i don't think they're selling tons of amsterdam sure. through the lcbo or from their retail space well sure and do you guys see um do you guys see amsterdam out in london it's weird i was commenting recently that i almost never hear from them anymore and i almost never see them it maybe it's like because i was in toronto for 10 years and you know their local rep and their social media person knew me so like when a new beer came out i would get to drink it or get an email and now that I'm like out of the bubble, they almost never come up. We're not even in their delivery. Yeah, zone. Like we don't really, I don't really go out much, but uh, we don't really see them on tap a whole lot in KW. I mean, we got 25 breweries in Waterloo region. So the local thing kind of takes over in most of the spots I go to. Um, but yeah, like them, uh, Muskoka even. Yeah. Like just these old, like when I got into brewing, these breweries that were, you know, the ones I aspired you know, to learn from and be like, we don't actually really see them around anymore. And maybe that just speaks to the smaller taproom focus model, uh, the the local distribution model, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like we don't even really sell outside of KW and Guelph. We don't even really sell the beer in London. Yeah, I've seen I've seen your Saison on the shelves here, but yeah, not uh, not often and not in all of them for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like, maybe that's consumer driven too right we've definitely had a point where consumers want choice and it's not like you just go to your watering hole and drink like the blonde beer that's named after the bar and you don't really ask what it is <laughs> which is let's be honest how great lakes and amsterdam a lot of breweries made a lot of money when they first opened up it was like you know sweaty betty's pitchers secretly it was a tab of you know a tap of blonde under the under the bar but that's changed now. Like everyone wants rotating taps and they want something different. Like even our local, Chris and I can walk uh, about 10 minutes to a, a bar here called Bungalow. They have arguably too many beers on tap for the clientele in our neighborhood, but they have a lot. And uh, it's interesting because probably traditionally that would have been a place that was purely Labatt's or, or purely Molson. But I think even if like the Muskoka rep, who I know is in there often, there's never just one Muskoka beer. They just, they still want the rotating taps. So I think that may be consumer, consumer driven too. Yeah. Yeah. People want, uh, people want a variety and they want to try new things. And um, I'm happy the beer market is different than it was when I got going where people were 
you know, brand focused or whatever. And they, you know, they only drink bone shaker or they only drink, um, I don't even remember what, Oh, Matt Tom, Matt Tom, let's go to the IPA. Matt Tom. It's been that long since I've it had it. It was a good one. 2012. That was a groundbreaking or it felt like it somehow. I think drinking bone shaker exclusively is probably a recipe for a couple of uh, rough nights out. Maybe only Chris Schreier could do that. <laughs> yeah, didn't he like live off that for like Lent or something? They made him a bock <laughs> specifically for that. They did Amsterdam made him a bock that he drank exclusively for a month and got picked up by like every media outlet in the world. It seemed like. Um, you mentioned the village. You guys do have kind of. A good little, I mean, not not your actual St. Jacob's Village, but you guys do have kind of a good scene that's like, I don't know, not quite part of the Toronto scene. Yeah, yeah, just like KW, I guess. Uh, uh, for anyone listening to this that hasn't been to Kitchener-Waterloo, they're basically the same city. We don't talk about Cambridge. I was um, going to say, what about Cambridge? Isn't no, it no. the Tri-Cities? No, no. Fuck Cambridge. You'll take Guelph. Uh, I'll, I'll count Guelph into that. I'll count stratford in the in the kind of our you don't get stratford stratford's 20 minutes from london you get stratford (laughs) maybe not 20 stratford's way closer to kw (laughs) it's whatever it's 40 from london 20 from kw you get a map Um, out johnson anyways it's yeah it's a it's a it's a it's a decent scene and and i always feel like when we go out to toronto we're like you know that especially where we are we're the farm team you know we're uh (laughs) <laughs> we're coming out we're, we're partying and we're having a good time but we kind of have our own thing going on um and guelph especially guelph loves guelph they're a very inward focused city um kw there's a lot of people who came out from toronto or came out from hamilton um maybe they went to school in london or something and they moved up here and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a region of 600,000 people. So there's not a whole lot of reason to leave. Mm-hmm. And and the beer scene has kind of uh, mirrored that in the sense that, there, you know, you got your brew pubs, you got your breweries like ours, you got uh, these little tiny nano things, you got, you know, Shortfinger who's doing their homebrew shop plus their small brewery plus their restaurant next door, um, TWB with their little co-op thing. Like there's a lot of options. You had um, Abe Herb, so you don't rest in peace. We did. We did have Abe Herb, uh, with four, four locations. Excuse me. COVID casualty, or sounds like that guy wasn't paying his bills. They grew big and they grew fast, and uh, now they are no more, unfortunately. Yeah, you mentioned you you got. Uh, there's a few that I will admit that I have not had a chance to have any of their beer. I was trying to run down. You mentioned. Um, Obviously, short finger. You got Innocente, Wellington's there. We're not going to do Cambridge, so apparently, so we won't mention them. Cambridge is crazy. Cambridge is crazy. They got like they got Barncat, Wavemaker, uh, Sparrow, uh, Forefathers. Like there, uh, man. There's there's like eleven breweries in Cambridge, and there's only a hundred thousand people there. Yeah, that's crazy. London is so behind. I feel like sometimes when you talk about our size, like we're like four hundred thousand, and we have like seven or eight breweries now we've got some catching up to do we don't have that connected area around though right i mean if you're in kw you're you're tied in with with guelph and you're not that far from some of the places on the way to the gta so you tap in more london's kind of an island i guess so i always tend to blame the bats i mean it was founded here they're a stronghold and they've got their sales force has been out and in force for 
fucking 200 years. It's pretty hard to crack the licensee sales with Labatt's here. London feels farther to me than than Toronto does. Like, if that makes sense, I like I don't actually know the distances, but like I can hop on the highway and be on the 401 in a few minutes and get to and get to you know I'm going through Milton, I'm going through Mississauga, whatever. But then I see that sign and I'm like, fuck, I'm only in Woodstock. <laughs> it's a boring yeah, it fucking just, drive it, it too. It feels so much further. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. there's also way more reasons to get to yeah. Toronto, so you're probably yeah. a little more excited to arrive. To be honest. <laughs> Sure. Yeah, yeah. The only times I ever go out to London is like to go to Stormstead and hang out. I guess. <laughs> it's a good spot. It's a good reason to come. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, no. There's uh, Call the Office. Is that still around? That. Oh that fuck yeah. Yeah, Chris, yeah. That's a good Chris spot. and I played that. Well, Chris did it with more than one band, but Chris and I were in a punk band in high school. We played Call the Office. That's my claim to fame. Thanksgiving Day in grade twelve, maybe, maybe six people in the. Do crowd. you have recordings right. of this band? No, it was an absolute God. nightmare. <laughs> God, it was a nightmare. Like yeah, we didn't think... get enough time to practice the song. We're just going to start over, okay? And the two people <laughs> that were watching didn't care. They were like, "All right, go for did, it." Did we start a song over? <laughs> we did. It was a nightmare. <laughs> good times, but we also saw a lot of good punk shows there in high school. It was. It, it still is a good venue. I'm drinking Perrier tonight. Perrier. I got a nice uh, Two Crows Mexican Lager. Oh, nice. Shout out Ooh. to Crows because they're my, my very good friends and they make fantastic beer and they send us it sometimes. Nice. I got a duplicitous. I was by Nickelbrook uh, for a little dry hop sour. Might have to come and check out your dry hop sour, Kevin. I'll send you some. Sweet. Okay, we can end the show there. That was the whole point. Just needed to get Chris some beer. <laughs> very gentle. That's why I jumped in there, Kevin. Yeah. Thank you for taking that for me whatever you just said i missed i'm sorry i feel like i'm having performance issues here it's very embarrassing well you can get that new vaccine uh from pfizer maybe you'll get a little little better performance later on too are you suggesting that the covid vaccine gives you better erections uh i was insinuating that but yes that's exactly what i was saying sweet it's a good bonus that, that's where you cut it into a commercial right there. <laughs> yeah. From Pfizer or whatever. Fuck, I'm hoping. I'll get some Pfizer money to run this podcast. That'd be all right. I'll push boner pills all day. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the question. Pfizer, if you're listening, <laughs> I love any type of boner pill, but if you send me yours. What's, what's the, there's like a natural version. If you're the, you know, the off-market boner pills, talk to me. We push them all. We're get, I'm getting to be 40. This is a market. I'm your market. It's pretty soon. <laughs> you need that generic stuff because you don't want to spend over $3 a pill. We've established that, right? Yeah, that's my cutoff for tall boys and boner pills. It's, <laughs> I don't go over 3 bucks. So it's interesting to me that you're, yeah, I mean, you're saying like you went from being a jazz musician and you're like, I need something more stable. I'm going <laughs> to brew beer where the big bucks are. Well, yeah, I mean, like, I, I just figured if I had to do a day job and work in a factory, it might as well be, like, a beer factory, right? That's logical. Check yeah, it out. And, and, yeah, like I said, back then, there wasn't this this big, like, I, I get resumes every week. Sorry for the dog. Uh, I get resumes every week, and, uh, 
you know, some of them are better than others. And sometimes we just don't have to work for them. Um, but when I started brewing, there was only 50 breweries in the province. Now there's what, like 400, 500 or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so clearly the, the want and the, and then the need for labor has gone up from there. Yeah. What would like, you if, I, if I submitted my resume to my brewery, I wouldn't have hired me. <laughs> I would have been like, who's this guy? But now or then? Because now the uh, pool was, the talent pool was a little smaller. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, now, like if I, if we recently hired a guy um, and he already had a year working at a brewery, he worked at exchange. Uh, actually, and I got to call you out on this. He requested to follow you on Instagram and you have not accepted that yet. Oh, so if you can accept Chris Reed's follow request, <laughs> he would appreciate it. You know what? I put it on uh, private because I have pictures of my kid on there, and then I never look think to look at the request. And there's like 150, so it's, don't take it personal. I Chris. don't. I don't think he actually cares. But <laughs> well, this guy sounds like a needy piece of shit. That's all I'm going to say. Um. So other than the talent pool growing, uh, what do you think the biggest difference is between now and when you started? And don't say COVID. <laughs> Uh, I, no, I actually think the, um, the knowledge level of, of people coming into it, um, you know, you'll get, you'll get servers who already understand like what a beer clean glass is. Um, and I mean, obviously there's people who don't, but you do get people who come in and, you know, they know why the clean or the cleanliness of the glass needs to happen and how a draft system works, you know, um, there, there's a higher level of, I don't want to say service, but yeah, just, just overall general knowledge and then passion to execute that knowledge. Right. That's, that's really important to me. Like you can know everything in the world, but like, do you actually want to do that? Um, mm -hmm. And are, will you take the initiative to actually keep that going? Um, and a lot of people do and they'll take initiative and, you know, those are kind of the best, the best people. Those are the people that stick around in the industry for a long time. So you think there's more of that now? There's there's more and less of that. Right. <laughs> so I could go the other way with that conversation and say that it's welcome people that think it's a, you know, a gold rush and there's people that are in it for what we would maybe call not the right reasons as well. But you get the people who are in it for the right reasons and then those are the ones that are going to stick around for a while. And and you can kind of tell when you meet some people, you're like, you know, that that person's great. Um, they're going to be in it. Um, thankfully, the places I've worked have had very low employee turnover um, because they they recognize talent and they nurture that talent. And uh, they, they let those people grow and kind of express themselves within the, the framework of the company. Now, who are some of the people you think that aren't going to make it? Name names. Do I actually have to answer that? Like no. <laughs> that's, that's a rough one. I, I I hope that every small business owner is in it for the right reasons, and that they, um, they have something they like to do, and that they want to pursue that as a business. But I see some places start up, um, because they want the perks, but they don't necessarily want to do the hard work. Like running a small business sucks. Um, it's insanely stressful. All the like little business end things. Those are awful. Like most of my time is not spent brewing beer. You caught me on a odd day where I was actually brewing instead of just like answering emails and being like, why the fuck is this delivery not here yet? 
Um, yeah, it always fun. seems odd to me that people get into craft beer for the wrong reason. Like it's so, it's so much work. Like brewing is lots of work and lots of cleaning and lots of waiting. So it's always kind of funny when you hear like this, like idea that craft beer is glamorous, maybe from the outside, but once you dig a little, I'm sure it's fun, but <laughs> it's not glamorous. Right. Or you get like, um, a home brewer who was like, Oh, this sounds great. I would love to keep doing this. I'll just like design recipes forever. It's like, well, I don't need you to design recipes. I need, that's like my job. I'm the head brewer. That's <laughs> yeah. You, you go shovel all that shit for me while I make up a recipe. <laughs> yeah. And even making recipes is like kind of annoying. It's like, man, just do exactly what I told you exactly the way I told you. So I don't have to watch you. <laughs> Right. I, I, I said it this way. Like I need soldiers. I don't need chefs. Right. And it's, 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 I, man, maybe I'm just getting old and jaded because I've been doing this for 10 years, but it's like, man, I, I'll do this. I'll do the science stuff. I'll do the thinking stuff. And then when we have time, we will discuss it as a group and and we will pretend for a brief moment that this is a democracy and then you go back to doing what you're fucking told but but even like say i you know we are our, our new brewer who we hired chris who you won't let you follow you on instagram never um, will now <laughs> fuck you chris um he he designed a beer uh he executed a project i said i, I need you to do this and here's your time frame and here's the, you know your budget and your ingredients and he did all of that right and he came back to me and he said, here's the recipe. But in the end, I do have to sign off on that because it's my name and it's my reputation for the brewery, right? Mm -hmm. So you think if I, if, you know, I just wandered into Indy Ale House and, and threw together a recipe and was like, blah, 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 like Broders would let me brew it. You know, he's going to have the final say on what goes down. Like, yeah, yeah here, man, let me brew 60 barrels of this black IPA because that's going to sell. <laughs> Everyone's favorite. Yes, my, my cousin got married and he brewed a keg of, of black IPA for the wedding. Oh, it's such a it bad like, cup. Why would you do that? It was me and like four other people that were actually enjoying it. And after about four, I didn't want to drink anymore, but he told me I had to. <laughs> you finished that keg, didn't you? I did what I could. He took a little bit on his honeymoon, which was in Ontario, and he kept going for a week, just did nothing but black IPA. He took it on his honeymoon? <laughs> he just went to the cottage. It was okay. Okay, I've literally funny. had nightmares like that. <laughs> <laughs> You're on your honeymoon and there's nothing to drink but black IPA. God. We made a nice wedding beer for our buddy's wedding, but we were smart about it. We made like a, what even was it? American Pale Ale? Is that what it was? Yeah, it was an APA, a four and change percent. Yeah. It was amazing. I think we finished that keg at the wedding. That was a crowd pleaser. We didn't make it. Lackey made it. We made it at Great Lakes. It was... We just stood around. <laughs> I specifically remember pouring the hops in at one point, Ben. Yes, we did our little Instagram duties. Yeah, you gotta get that photo up, right? <laughs> yeah, you gotta That's get the right. hops going in, pick, and then you did a collab. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean it's 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 just fun, you know. Um, sometimes it's nice to like get out of the office or uh, just just shake up your work week because otherwise it's just like a factory, right? That almost sounded like you're inviting us down to your brewery to uh, to do a collaboration, Kevin. Let's do it. As soon as there's a vaccine, I'll come down there with my boner poking out of my pants, and we're gonna... <laughs> why you gotta go there, man? Like, because the vaccine is gonna give us all boners. We already covered this earlier. Uh, right, callback. Sorry, I'll stop bringing up boners. 
folks, are you like me? Do you like supporting independent breweries? Yeah, you do. What better independent brewery to support right now than the Indie Ale House? Indie is right in the name, so you know they're independent. They're located in Toronto. Uh, their brew pub is in the Junction, and they have a brewery in Italy in the Manulife Center as well. Of course, these are weird times for going out. Maybe you're not ready. Maybe you don't even live in Toronto. That's okay. You can still try the delicious beers that they're making at the Indie Ale House because they made it easy. Beer to your door, ordered from the comfort and safety of your own home. That's my favorite way to order things. You got free delivery anywhere in Toronto if you order 12 beers or more and a flat rate anywhere else in Ontario. Why not order a Stay Home Pale Ale? One dollar from every can of Stay Home purchased will be donated to the fund that supports their employees that have been temporarily laid off due to COVID-19. Check them out at IndieAleHouse.com. So what would you say the biggest difference from going from Wellington to Block 3 has been? Um, it, um, Wellington definitely taught me the value of um, time efficiency. Mm-hmm. Um, because them, well, back when I worked there, they were brewing 24-7. So, like, literally that brew house, if it wasn't boiling something, they were losing money. Um so I understood like the like how to use people's time efficiently and how to like budget like well canning isn't actually a two person job it's a one and a half person job so how to do that um, which I think has helped block three function because um, for a long time we were just running you know two of us doing two thousand hex a year which was super stressful for me um, and then we just recently hired you know Chris Reed the third shout out of the day. Uh, <laughs> But uh, I guess the biggest difference for me was like learning kind of the business side of it and seeing what, like, because at, at Wellington, I was just, I was just making work, right? Just make work, make work, make work, go, 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 go uh, as fast as you can. And now it was more like what, uh, what business decisions actually make sense? Like, why are we selling beer to a random bar in, I'm going to throw out Kingston, like, that $130 keg, $150 keg might not actually be worth it out there because we don't sell any beer through the LCBO out there. So why are we paying 15 bucks through TNG or whatever it is to ship that beer out there? Um, And just seeing it from that higher level, instead of just focusing on make sure you hit your gravity, make sure you hit your pre-boil volume, make sure you hit this, right? Like moving up, into the the world of management has been very eye-opening and and shows you kind of actually what makes a brewery successful versus um what makes a work production successful yeah yeah i wonder if some of our early conversations i remember i think we maybe a time when we were both slagging like contract brewers and i think as you get a little older I've started to realize like this is a business. I don't really hold against anyone how they choose to, you know, if they're making good beer and they're making money and they're not hurting anyone, I don't really give that much of a shit anymore. Like maybe I've mellowed out. I'm, and I think where you and I maybe used to agree on some of the stuff where like maybe a little bit like uh, evangelical about craft beer, you get to a certain point. Like, is this really something when I get fucking worked up again about? 
Yes. Yeah. So I always feel the need to let people know I'm 33. Um, <laughs> You're like, I'm not that old. Then. <laughs> um, but I, no, I've been, I like, I've literally been doing this since I was 23 years old. Um, so in the beginning, yeah, I was pretty like evangelical or whatever, like opinionated about, no, uh, contract breweries suck and, you know, you have to have bricks and mortar or at least be planning for bricks and mortar. And now I see um, some contract breweries and, and friends of mine who are contract breweries or contract works. Like uh, I'm going to use speciation in Michigan as an example. I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, but they do not have a brew house. They contract all their work and they inoculate it. They ferment it. They put it in oak and they make some of the best like blended oak okay, sour beers I've ever had. And they make fantastic wine um so like you get older you meet some people and you realize like it's it it is just a business like does it really matter who's actually making your work no um so a contract especially with contract breweries i don't really it's weird to say i don't really care anymore um if you're starting a contract brewery good luck to you uh the margins are super slim you're gonna have a rough time um again i've said that the wide distribution model is not really a thing anymore and i i would advise against that as a businessman but uh i don't think you're any less of a brewer in a philosophical sense as long as you stand behind the product you're selling right that was i mean contract not to bring up contract brewers again that was just an example and for the record i just meant you'd been in beer a long time i wasn't saying that you looked old and haggard <laughs> and i'm getting gray hairs in my beard man i think i look really good when my hair grows gray it'll be it'll be nice i believe you i'm gonna ask what's an industry trend that's maybe surprised you i used to be super anti-hazy ipa yeah um and then i came around <laughs> and then uh and then i kind of am out of it again uh the so at first i was like this is kind of garbage i think just because there was a lot of garbage one versions of that coming out um and then i i can't remember who exactly told me this but i was like i'm really just like i'm not really into these kind of beers i'm really into like yeast driven uh flavors and they're like but these are yeast driven flavors right like the the bio transformation of hops and things like that and i was like wow that's kind of blowing my mind here and it it, it turned me around on that and then I also like making money. So <laughs> we did that for a little bit. Um, but I, uh, maybe it's just because there's so many more breweries and there's so many more crappy ones coming out that I'm a little bit turned off from that. And I'm kind of back on this, this logger thing. Yeah. But yeah, 10 years ago, if you told me that the extreme beer geeks would be like, yo, give me the crispest Pilsner you have. Mm -hmm. i'd be like you guys are fucked like this is but now that's it man like i'm i'm literally drinking a corn lager right now yeah. from a, craft, a very well respected craft brewery probably one of my top hunt or top 10 for sure craft breweries in canada and i i would not have seen that coming even even five years ago sam if you told me the kind of money i would spend to get cases of uh vim and figure delivered to my house during the pandemic i'd be like uh, you're you're out of your mind but but i also think like when when the hazy thing came out and people were hating on it i was like oh it's just 
an interesting development in the, you know, the evolution of the IPA. It's fine. It's a little cloudy because it's made a different way. But then when you would pick up a beer that wasn't cloudy, there was something about it. You're like, oh, look at that. Like there's like a workmanship that went into it, like a little extra. That you're like, look at the work that went into that to make that look so beautiful. So I don't hate them, but I, I like, I like being able to see through my glass. <laughs> I think like aesthetically, right? Like we, hundred percent it's been proven we drink with our eyes right you you look at it and you see something that looks nice and now the aesthetic of something that looks nice has become this like hazy beer and you see it you see it on untapped you see it in the bar people are asking like what's your haziest ipa um so it's 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 not that's the dumbest question do people really ask i guess it's almost the same as saying what's your like like what's your highest IBU beer? Like that yeah. was that was the thing two three years ago. Right. You, you get what's your haziest IPA, and um, it's easy to present them with a a hazy IPA, right? Yeah. But I don't want to be like those are easy to make because when they're done well, they're very very good. Like they're mm-hmm. very good, but it's easy to make them and have them not taste good or taste less than good. Yeah, no, it's a trend. It's like you could say the same about anything. You do, you could say that about kettle sours. You could say that about lactose beers. Like, there's, they they were trending and they had a moment. So there was bad ones out there because they were selling. That's just what happens. Kettle sours is is one that's near and dear to my heart because we do make a kettle sour like almost every other week, and um, we do the due diligence to make sure it's like clean. And when we ferment the fruit we like actually ferment the fruit out and your cans aren't exploding right uh, I, hate, I hate seeing people being like oh this can exploded but it's fine i paid 10 bucks for it i shipped it up from ohio or whatever like that that kills me inside a little bit yeah like i mean i don't understand the consumers that are willing to dismiss that like i mean if you're making a product you think that you know one of your top seven things about the product is shouldn't explode on consumer like cars right. beers everything not exploding unless it's explosives and of course that's what, it's what was that do. car back in the day where like you rear-ended it and exploded they took I, those off the market that's right that was uh a Pinto, maybe? yeah it was i yeah. actually still remember a norm mcdonald joke about that because it was i know it was a ford car because ford's slogan was uh quality is job one and then he said, and job two is making your car explode. <laughs> I heard that in his voice and I'm yeah. not happy about that's that. A cl- that's a, that's is my Norm McDonald weekend update impression. It's pretty good, right? So Kevin, what would you say is the haziest IPA that you brew? <laughs> Topical, because we just brewed our 1,000th batch, which is a difficult thing to say. Um, so we decided to make a triple IPA, because why not? A lot of oats, a uh, bunch of base malt, 10% alcohol, more hops than I've ever put in a beer. Multiple You're chasing rounds. all the trends here. You're yeah, yeah, yeah. high ABV, to... extra hazy. Does it blow yeah. up, though? Does it blow up? It does not blow up. Um, the DO level was nice. Uh, we, we did everything we could to make the best packaged product we could. Because the way things work right now is you're still selling mostly your beer to people to take home. So we wanted to make sure we had a stable product. Uh, and yeah, uh, tastes great. And I love it. And 
I'm very happy with it, but that is not a style that like, we don't even have a full-time IPA, mm. like regular IPA, let alone double or triple IPA. It's just not something that we love. We like having other IPAs and we like trying other IPAs, but we just don't, I don't know, gravitate towards that. This is a dumb question, but I don't see your beer in London much. So are you exclusively in 500 mil bottles still? I've only ever seen your product in 500 mil bottles. Cans and hold it up. No one can see the camera. I can see it. It has a what is it, scantily clad woman. I can see her nipples through her. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just kidding. <laughs> we made a decision a long time ago not to put people on our labels. Uh, no people at all. No people at all. We, we had one... Uh, one artist uh, designed a label for us and I got what he was going for. He was going for like the, uh, like pointillism, like graphic comic kind of throwback fifties thing. And I was like, Nope, we're not doing that. I do not. We can, we can do other things with design than uh, put scantily clad women on it, on our labels. Yeah. It's lazy. Um, but anyways, yeah. So everything's in cans now um, besides the Oak age sour stuff. Um, we do still have like a cool ship and do like spontaneous beers and uh, Oak Age stuff and a, a fooder and all that, you know, hype things you can post photos about on Instagram. Right. But, uh, for the most part, everything's in cans. Do you have uh, multiple LCBO listings or is it still the Saison? Uh, King Street. Yeah. King Street Saison and the Hollinger Hellas. Hollinger oh, I've never seen that in London. I would definitely have picked that up if I saw Hellas right. from you guys. I will send you some of that. It's, I'm very, very proud of that beer, actually. Um, it, it, you know, it's a, it's a Hellas. It's a nice, pale, easy-drinking German-style lager. Uh, we spent six weeks in tank with that. It, uh, yeah, it, it hits all the buttons for us. We're in a very German part of the world, part of Canada. Mm -hmm. um, the Hollinger family is the family that started Home Hardware. Oh, really? Home Hardware ever is, like, next door to the brewery. And and actually, our beer garden is their like family home. <laughs> so we, we we bought this like old building and and made a big beer garden in front of it, and that's actually where their family is like from. That building was built in 1864. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, man, we got to get you guys out. Of course, we put a Mexican restaurant in it. Makes sense to me. Sure. Why Mexican not? German fusion. It's not a fusion. The chef's from Mexico. It's very Mexican. <laughs> um, I actually uh, was going to ask about that. You guys invested, it seems like you invested pretty heavily in the beer garden just in yeah. time for, well, not just in time. It was predates the, the pandemic, but you definitely invested in hosting events and having more folks come to the brewery. How are you? How's that going now? I mean, you had a 20 degree weekend, so that must've been okay, but they, they're not going to be around forever. Yeah. 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 So, so anyone that's uh, never been to our brewery, we can seat about a hundred people. Um, there's a patio up front. There's a patio on the side. Um, and then we did buy this century building and we have a hundred seats out on the patio, socially distanced now. Uh, and now that we're moving into center, the domes is what we call them. Mm -hmm. So you can rent those specifically for your uh, social bubble and have uh, have a meal. And then we, we sanitize them 
uh, in between. So that's, uh, it's been going good. Um, a lot of people are looking for somewhere to go. They want to just get out. They want to get out of the house. Um, they want to try some food. And we were thankfully set up already with a massive patio, uh, which in Waterloo region is kind of hard to come by. So I think a lot of people jumped on that and wanted to see what we were offering. And then you combine that with our chef, Chef Arturo, uh, his food being authentic, like legit Mexican, like where else are you going to go to get octopus or beef tongue tacos, you know? Nice. Um, it's been going good. It's been going really good. Now I got to ask, there's maybe a running theme on this show about my germophobia, the domes. I have a lot of questions about these domes. Like it seems to me that being sealed in a bubble with people during a viral pandemic wouldn't be my first choice. Like I, I'm assuming you're, you're assuming that people are dining with folks in their in their bubble, in your bubble, how does that work? Like, it doesn't seem, I don't know. You're not even outside anymore. How is that a patio? Yeah, so that is not the same as a patio. It is It is 100% the same as dining inside. Right, that's okay. We, Thank we, you for saying that. <laughs> that's the way we look at it. Um, it's, it's just a warm space um, to prolong our season. And step one, contact tracing we take everyone's info um in between each person that comes in these domes do have ventilation uh so we do um sanitize the insides of each of them and then uh so we got your contact info we sanitize the insides of them you have to book them in advance like they're booked well out through christmas uh and now in waterloo region you can only have groups of six so we are we are following every rule that public health sets out uh, I can understand people's hesitance to do it, and that's totally fine. Um, but it's it's definitely designed to be like just your your social bubble. Do you do you still greet every guest with a kiss on the mouth? Because I know that was something you were doing before. <laughs> you know what? As my beard grew bigger, I grew out of that because people got a little weirded out by the. You know. That's good. Your mustache is coming in fully. No me. one's kissed me in months. I'm, <laughs> I'm fine. I do whatever I want with my facial hair. Um, yeah. So it sounds like I mean the bubbles sound amazing. For like obviously they're around not just for COVID. That's your patio extension plan for the foreseeable. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. I'm not as big of a germaphobe as Ben. I'm coming. That bubble sounds great. The kiss on the mouth. The Mexican food. It all sounds pretty awesome, actually. Dude, we got octopus tacos. It does sound lovely. Octopus, when it's done right, is amazing. Um, unfortunately, I've had octopus not done right, and it is not amazing. It gets so gross and mushy on the outside, but I'm a big fan of grilled octopus. Um, memorably had it at Bar Isabel in Toronto. Also, that was some good, good octopus. You're both looking at me. Neither of you lived in Toronto, so I'm like... <laughs> Bar Isabel's octopus is nice. It's hey, really nice. Stop it. <laughs> the best i've had name dropping octopus here and chris i feel like we should give the fans an update because i saw your cat walk by and it reminded me the last time you were on the program you were looking for your lost cat sunny is safe and sound She's, she is safe and sound it was a halloween miracle uh, somebody called us just after i borrowed your stable gun and put up 16 signs somebody called us a half an hour later unrelated to the signs so uh you know, I spent a nice two hours the next day taking my signs down. I found one. I took one of those signs down for you a couple of days ago, by the way. You left one up. 
That was the one I couldn't find. I got it. Thank you. <laughs> you stole my staple gun, by the way. And I still have your uh, chisels. Yep, we've got a nice exchange going. We'll, we'll trade something more interesting next time. I'll give you some more of my homegrown. Can we talk about homegrown? It's legal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're the one who grew it. Uh, I'm, I'm totally legal to smoke it. I have not yet smoked any of it, but I've got three different strains and they've all gotten positive reviews from my test subjects. So I was dirt, water, and sunshine, nothing fancy. And I can intoxicate people from the earth. It's a powerful feeling. Um, it's a powerful feeling for you to actually consume some yourself also. <laughs> yeah, I'll get to that eventually. I mean, Kevin's drinking his beer right now. It seems reasonable that you should try your own homegrown. You're right. I'm I'm like kind of on the same thing where I'm like, I like the gardening challenge more than I like the product. Exactly. <laughs> I like having it. Like, and like, and I have a lot now because if you grow some, you end up with a lot, like more than I'll ever need. It, it's like growing hot peppers. Like you just want to see how hot you can get them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to see how high I can get my friends. <laughs> you just throw a couple of big buds on the, uh, in your fire pit one day. Do like uh, Michael Douglas in Romancing the Stone when they found that smuggling plane. And that was the only thing they had to burn. He's just standing over the fire and breathing it all in. Do that with your fire pit sometime. Okay. Thanks for that tip. You're welcome. <laughs> I feel like that's a reference from before I was born. All <laughs> right. We didn't assume you were that old. <laughs> Don't assume that we are. But probably, yeah. Romancing yes, the Stone yeah. is a little dated. I'd never heard of that movie. Really? I wouldn't say it's a classic, but... Should I watch it? You should watch it. It's solid. We usually do a recommendation segment on the show. Why don't we pull Kevin into that? What are you reading? What are you listening to? Uh, Podcasts. I I recently listened to Chameleon. Okay. Which is about a uh, um, scam that's been going on through Hollywood for several years with no weird apparent goal in mind and just it's it's a good one check that out and then i also listened to one called recall about the flq and the history of that in quebec oh cool. that would be interesting yeah yeah i, w- I would check both those out because i didn't really know anything about that history it's not really something they teach in school so we well, learned actually about i remember that ben and i <laughs> Oh God, we wrote a play it. about it. Yeah, we did. Grade FLQ nine. go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we wrote a play about the FLQ in grade nine. That's good. Do you have the sheets for that? Because I would love to perform that. <laughs> that would be amazing. So every, every scene ended with somebody saying, go to hell. <laughs> I think it did. There's a lot of like lights yeah. out on your knees yelling. Yeah, our teachers didn't like, enjoy how that. How good is your guys French? Like, <laughs> it was in English. <laughs> I think it was for English. Like it was for like we had a combination English and history class. That was a kind of a ridiculous class we were in in grade nine, where um, our English and history was combined, and our mark for the whole year was based one hundred percent on writing a novel about Canadian history. So it would be like every week or so you'd have to hand in a new chapter that would cover the area you just learned about in history class so 100 percent of your grade mine was about a family of uh of like bootleggers and criminals and it was like 
I was heavily into like Pulp Fiction and Quentin Tarantino at the time, so it was super, super violent. <laughs> Mine was Pulp Fiction related too, because I didn't know how to end it. So there was this mysterious case that had been passed down from generation to generation, but we never saw what was in it. It was a bit of a cop out. <laughs> I-, I wonder if those, I got to find that. That's got to <laughs> exist somewhere still. And you, you open it up, you open that box up, and it's just like a golden light glowing over you. Well, I mean, I don't even know. I mean, it was so mysterious. We couldn't even see what sort of light it was emitting. I'm going to salvage this conversation by recommending a book now. <laughs> um, I don't know if I mentioned this on the show before, but I've uh, recently become obsessed with Old West things. So I, the Old West does actually a podcast. Have I already mentioned this on the show? No, no, no. Everyone likes hearing about your Old West obsession. Fuck, I won't talk about it then. Did I already mention the no, 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 no. book I'm reading? I, I sub to that podcast. I sub to it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, there's a Jesse James uh, biography I'm reading by T.L. Styles. Um, the podcast got me into the idea of Jesse James. And now the more I read about him, the more I hear about him. The myth is total bullshit about this Robin Hood, you know, outlaw criminal. He was really just a hardcore pro-slavery terrorist and uh, tried to pawn off robbing the you know banks and railway as something that was like robbing from the rich but really he was just stealing from like unionist entities because he was hardcore confederate and not uh, at all romantic kind of a piece of shit it's a good book <laughs> uh i'll stick with the book theme i'm going to recommend a book by a new author uh it's my 11 year old son he's written a novel um it's called Victor Bay. It's 270 pages long. Uh, That's and, a long for me. I'll pass. Uh, I've converted it into e-reader format for editing purposes, and uh, it's it's pretty good. It's a book for 11 to 14-year-olds written by an 11-year-old, so you get a bit of a unique perspective there. And he's never watched X-Men, but it, there are a lot of similar elements to X-Men with the uh, you know superpowers and a school for the superpowers. But so far, so good. Sounds pretty derivative, but uh, yeah, we'll check that out. But he's never seen X-Men. I'm just kidding. This isn't like your Pulp Fiction novel from grade nine, Ben. This is, uh, this is straight Can from people head. read this somewhere? Are you going to share this publicly? Or are you just saying, I'm reading a book my son wrote? Uh, soon. It, this is like a coming soon sort of uh, pre-hype before publication. But it should be available in stores and anywhere you download e-reading materials within the next two months. <laughs> Well, ambitious alright well maybe we'll leave it there for tonight thanks Kevin for being on the show thanks guys thanks for having me I hope you listen to this in the brew house and uh, Chris enjoys all the uh, shout outs you got yeah I'm going to be one of those creepy guys that listens to it between uh, midnight and 6am is it you you're one of those guys well, I get up at like 4 man so yeah. brewers hours <laughs> kids hours Four? <laughs> my kid got up at four. There'd be a problem in my house. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. And uh, I'm going to look for that Hol- Hollinger Hellas wherever. Yeah, well, we'll, uh, we'll ship you guys some. Yeah, I was going to say we're in the stores, but no, I'm going to hold you to that. I'll look for it in my mailbox. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> okay. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kevin. Cheers, guys. See you later. Thanks for listening.
Be sure and wash your hands.